Um, a couple years ago, I taught on humility, and I had a, this fantastic idea, and it was I gave a, a quiz out to every single person. I printed it out, handed it out. Some of you remember this, gave pens, and it was a two-question quiz. Question one was, um, are you meek or humble? Check yes or no. Question two was, are you proud? Check yes or no. I gave everyone some time to answer, reflect, are you proud or humble? And then I, when everyone was done, I put this quote on the screen that says, the moment you think that you have, that you finally have humility, is the exact moment in which you've lost it. I looked out, I saw several people like scribble their answers and change. One guy came up to me afterwards, he said, you know, I actually wrote down, yes, I'm humble, and no, I'm, I'm not proud, and realized he was actually the opposite. So I thought that was hilarious. Uh, the, the, the meek person doesn't think they are meek, because by definition, they're meek. They don't, they're not even thinking about themselves. And the person who has pride doesn't think that they have pride because, by definition, pride inhibits them from actually being honest with themselves. That's kind of the, the catch-22 of pride. So I would ask you those unofficial questions. Um, do you have humility? Do you have pride in your life? love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 with me if you have a Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you have a smartphone, we have something we're trying out today for the first time. You could open the Bible app if you have the Bible app from version. something super cool. Um, and if you have your Bible, bring, open the Bible app anyway. This is amazing. Um, give you a moment to do that. We have a you know, if you log in on, the, on your home screen, at the bottom right-hand corner, there should be the word more with three little lines. If you click on more, the bottom right of your Bible app, and then um, you should see events. You click on events, something magical happens. It will find, if, if, it, if you're allowing it to, um, you got it. If you're, if you're allowing it to see your location, uh, or if not, you could search Gathering Midtown. It'll bring up our church, it's amazing, and all of my sermon notes and some extra goodies are in that. And you can take notes right in the app and keep things, and oftentimes people will take pictures of the screen, which you can do, but here, everything is straight from my notes right on there, and a lot of follow-up next steps. So that's pretty cool. They think we're a legit church, so I was really happy to see them allow us to do this. Amazing. Thank you, technology. Let's, uh, we're on the third beatitude. But let's read all of them, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Last week we talked about, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Today is, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Martin Luther King Jr. would be a good example of that. Blessed are those who are persecuted for Righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, 
He'd be a good example of that. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of our Lord. There you go. You know, this is where the Beatitudes turn. The, the, the first two Beatitudes um, really deal with our vertical relationship with God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are those who recognize their spiritual poverty. And then um, blessed are those who mourn. Um, it builds on that. Blessed are those who don't just confess their sin, but actually cry, mourn, grieve, are contrite. We've seen examples in popular culture of people who have done things um, you know, that were really, really bad, and they kind of read, conf- uh, read an apology but we can all tell, like, well, they didn't really mean it. They're just sad that, that the public's upset with them. And so it's one thing to acknowledge your spiritual bankruptcy. It's another thing to be contrite about it or to mourn or grieve it. This third beatitude gets a little bit more difficult because it introduces a different dimension in our relationships. It introduces the horizontal dimension. Blessed are those who are humble or meek. Now Jesus begins to deal with how we view one another. And it gets more difficult than the other two. It's one thing, in the first two Beatitudes, it's one thing to recognize you're a sinner. But in the third Beatitude, it's a whole other thing for someone else to call you a sinner. There's this uh, great quote, which is, Humility before God is nothing if not proved in humility before each other. You ever known someone who... Uh, seems to have a really strong devotion to the Lord, but they can't get along with anybody, you might introduce this quote to them and then go run for cover. One of my favorite sayings on this is, while your faith is personal, it isn't private. In the past, I think, 100 years, there's been a lot of great theological work on bringing um, kind of individualism to our faith. Um, for, for, for a long time, the faith was viewed in terms of the mass, and you could kind of feel like you were you know, lost in a sea of people. And so it is very nice to um, think on and receive that actually God looks at you, and he sees you, and he knows you. And, and there, there's a great positive spin to um, having faith as an individual. However, I think we Americans might take that too far. Um, because in the scriptures it says he's making us a royal priesthood, not a bunch of royal priests and priestesses. It's, it's um, a, a community. Um, the, uh, the Apostles' Creed would say it like this, we believe in the communion of saints. We believe in the one holy Catholic or universal church. And so our faith is absolutely personal to us, but it's not private. We don't sin in private. It's one of the things often we forget about when we um, choose to sin or fall into sin. It affects other people. Your faith is personal, it's not private. We don't really love the word meekness. We tend to use meekness negatively. I don't know that any of us set out to go, I want to be meek. That's such a great word. We, our nation is a nation that says, hey, pull yourself up off your bootstraps and, and work hard and, 
And, and there's some good to that, but, but often it goes against meekness. We use meekness as um, thinking, you know, someone's weak, someone doesn't have initiative. The problem with that, as Andrew Murray pointed out in his great work on humility, is that um, the, the character attribute of humility is the chief attribute in which all of Christ's other attributes spring from. Without the humility of Christ, it's hard to picture any of his other attributes. Philippians 2 speaks to this truth. So I'd like to give a few definitions, as any good pastor would do. Uh, i got four different definitions of what meekness is. I, I like nuance. I don't like just, um, just really you know, plain, simple things. And, and the first thing is meekness is not weakness. This is kind of the, the basic confrontation to how we view meekness or humility. Meekness is not weakness. Um, Meekness is not the absence of power. Instead, we would say meekness is the presence of great control, or, or meekness is power under control. Meekness is strength constrained. I think a horse would be a good analogy to this. When a horse is broken and has be- become um, submitted to a master, it hasn't lost any of its strength or power. But when a horse has, has, has truly submitted to the leading of a higher power or, or someone else, its strength can actually be channeled and used for good, as opposed to a wild mustang running around everywhere. Um, Bethany is, um, works as one of our admins here at the church. She uh, was telling me a story about this. I was talking to her about the sermon, and she shared this incredible story. I tried to get her to share it. And she's like, I'm with the babies on Sunday. I can't. And I think it was partially an excuse. But she wrote it to me instead. And, she, and so I'd like to read this from her. It's amazing. It really drives this point home. She says, uh, I'm a riding instructor with the Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship, all capitalized. As an instructor, I facilitated various equine-assisted activities for children and adults with physical, emotional, and cognitive challenges. At a center I worked at several years ago, there was a beautiful paint horse named Lakota who was notorious for being difficult to work with and often aggressive. I had myself experienced that aggression on many occasions, resulting in bites and bruises from his powerful hooves. Because of his temperament, he was kept away from our riders But on this particular day, he had somehow ended up in the area where he wasn't supposed to be. I had just finished a lesson with a young girl who had Down syndrome named Sarah and was walking her out of the barn when out came Lakota. Before I had the chance to stop her, Sarah went running at him full speed, arms outstretched. I sucked in a breath, terrified to see how he would respond. But instead, Lakota surprised me by slowly lowering his head and allowing Sarah to hug his neck and run around his legs, patting him and laughing with joy. I was in shock that this powerful horse who could have killed little Sarah with one kick of his legs was instead standing there gently and quietly receiving her love. I got Sarah safely back to her parents and breathed a sigh of relief And Lakota went right back to his old ways as later that night he gave me a good bite on the arm as I was cleaning out his stall just so I wouldn't forget what he was capable of. I will never forget seeing such a beautiful picture of immense power under control. 
It's a great picture of meekness and humility. Jesus is the greatest example of this. I remember the account of when he is being beaten. The soldiers took him before crucifixion. They blindfolded him, and they began to deliver blows to him. And they, beyond that, began to taunt him psychologically, and they said, if you're the son of God, prophesy who's about to hit you. Do you remember this? Now, Jesus could have prophesied not just who was about to hit him, but who their mother was, who their grandmother was, who their great-grandmother was. He could have told them everything about their family that they didn't even know. But he was silent, like a lamb going to the slaughter. It's a great picture of strength constrained. Jesus was perhaps the meekest person and the most humble and yet the strongest person that we've ever known. Number two, meekness is a sober sense of reality. I really like this definition of humility. Aren't the most arrogant people that you know a little bit out of touch with how things work? The meek person doesn't think too highly of themselves, nor do they think too lowly of themselves. They just simply acknowledge that God is God, we are not, and they live in that. John Stott, the great Anglican theologian, said, meekness is a true view of oneself expressed in attitude and conduct with respect to others. This makes us gentle, humble, sensitive, and patient in all our dealings with others. Thank you, Stott, for the conviction. Kind of the third dimension of meekness I'd like to point out is, uh, if if I'm able to have another favorite, this one might be it, is that meekness is not thinking less of yourself, It is thinking of yourself less. Let that sink in. We sometimes confuse meekness with self-pity or low self-esteem. That's not the truth. Meekness is not having a lower image of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. Fourth, meekness is isn't synonymous with laziness or idleness. Meekness isn't synonymous with being easygoing or even being a doormat. Sometimes people think that humility and meekness is just letting people walk all over you. That's not the case necessarily. Meekness isn't necessarily um, being nice or low maintenance. I, I know some people that are really, really nice and they have a lot of pride that they haven't dealt with. Meekness is something completely different than all that. Honestly, most of us are not familiar with the quality of humility or meekness because it's not a natural quality to our flesh. We are most familiar with the counter value of meekness. The counter value of meekness is pride. When I was, um, I think, 19, I was in a, uh, I was in a ministry school named Master's Commission, And it was a really wonderful experience. It was basically a Bible school based out of the local church. We did distance education, and then in real time, we're um, basically slave labor for the church. We did everything. And uh, the good thing was, you know, we really, I I got firsthand ministry experience at the age of 18 and 19 while also getting a theological education. It was a really amazing thing. The cool thing about that was for the first time in my life, I found deep, authentic community. There's about 12 of us that kind of 
you know, shared apartments and lived together and just um, did life together for like 70 or 80 hours a week. It was amazing. And we went to a, uh, um, a conference, I think my first semester in, and we were around maybe 500 of like-minded people who were in the same state as us. And the first night I remember meeting people who they had greater dreams than I had, they had greater aspirations, they were more gifted than me, they dressed better than me, they had nicer clothes than me, they had more money than me, and I quickly began to, to get really self-aware of how I was not the greatest person in the room and how there were literally hundreds and hundreds of people way better than me. And that night, my insecurities really flared up and I began to kind of just sit in this worship service feeling sorry for myself and really beating myself up because I'd realized just how awful I was and how, how everyone else, even the band was, was greater, the drummer was better than me. It just, I just was comparing myself with everyone I saw and I was coming up short and it really affected me on a deep emotional level. I'm not initially proud of this moment, but um, in worship I remember just kind of sulking and feeling sorry for myself and I was having a, uh, a pity party with only one person invited and uh, which was me, and I remember saying to the Lord, like, oh, just kind of lamenting at how awful I was, and then followed it up with, I'm just being humble, Lord, right? That day, the, the message was on pride, and as the, 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 the speaker who I knew was, was getting going, he was talking, hey, the title of my message is pride or whatever, he started talking, and I was like, I actually closed my notebook, I was like, I don't need to take notes, because I, you know, woe is me. I'm just this, like, humble guy who's worse than all these other people. You know, everyone else needs to learn about their pride. And about halfway through, he delivered um, some teaching that really shook me. And he began to talk about um, what he called, and I'd never heard of this before, but he called inverted pride. And um, began to explain, you know, uh, we often think of pride as the, the arrogant person, is really positive, but there's another side of pride. Is, uh, if you have low self-esteem or if you're always throwing pity parties for yourself or if you're beating yourself up all the time, you struggle with pride just as much as the arrogant, you know, uh, quarterback of the football team, you know, uh, you know, caricature. Because at the end of the day, whether it's positive or negative, it's all about you. And I realized that day, I, I didn't have a meekness problem. I had a deep pride problem. And it was masquerading as meekness, which is kind of what pride does. I learned that day that pride is both puffed up and pushed down. The outward form of pride is very proud. The inward or inverted form of pride is very pitiful. The outward form of pride is positive, the Inward form is negative. The outward form of pride says, hey, look at me. Look how awesome I am. The inward form of pride says, woe is me. Leave me alone. The outward form of pride is kind of puffed up. The inward form of pride is very caved in. To use an animal, the outward form of pride is the pride of the peacock. The inward form of pride is the pride of the worm. Do you have the pride of the peacock or the pride of the worm? We all struggle with pride. If you don't think you do, that should be exhibit A. That pride is at work in your life. 
And so listen, I'm just going to give us all permission to say, hi, my name is Drew, I have pride. Which form of pride do you have? Is it of the peacock or of the worm? Andrew Murray, who is one of the greatest writers on the subject of humility, he wrote, in heaven and earth, pride, self-exaltation, is the gate, the birth, and the curse of hell. Pride must die in you, or nothing in heaven can live in you. Winky Prattney has this great saying, which is, uh, Satan didn't get in trouble and uh, didn't get cast out of God's presence with a third of the angels because he ran off with a lady angel. The reason why Lucifer was cast out of God's presence and took a third of the angels with him is because he had pride. He had an independent spirit. And just to put it in plain definition, when we have pride and arrogance in whatever form in our lives, by definition, that is satanic. It is not godly. It is not holy. It is not a, a characteristic of Christ. It is not a fruit of the Spirit. It is actually a fruit of hell. By definition, if if, if Satan got kicked out of heaven because of pride, not because he ran off with some lady angel, as Prattney says, by definition, it isn't godly. It is satanic. It is demonic. We have to recognize it is what it is and the nature of what it is. I've had the, the privilege of discipling many military men um, being in San Antonio, natural. And often, you know, I'll have these guys who are just like the, you know, big buff guys, you know, one of them was a weapon instructor, and he, I mean, just, they, as manly as they come, and, and we always, you know, would start with humility and when discipling them, and, and um, one of them um, said it to me like this, he said, you know, Drew, when you began to talk about humility, my first impulse was, that's not very manly. Like, being meek, power under control, taking wrong patiently, not having to have the last word, all these characteristics of meekness, being gentle, having self-control. He's like, that's not very manly. And then he said, but as I've learned Philippians 2, I know I'm right. Meekness and humility is not manly, but it is godly. And it is. So, how do you know if you truly have pride deep at work in your life? One question I'd like to ask you is, are you tired? And not, you know, newborn in the home, tired, but soul-tired, just like the weariness is in your bones, tired. There's, often, there's many cases, uh, there's many causes of fatigue and weariness and being tired. 
But one of the causes of deep soul weariness and fatigue is pride. Many people don't know that. Uh, the reason is the burden of pride is a heavy burden. It chains you to the labor of self-love, which is a hard labor, on behalf of this little lowercase g God named self. This God of self requires your unconditional loyalty and devotion. He forces you to remain vigilant at all times, forever sensitive to someone speaking poorly about you always scanning the room for someone who doesn't consider you important. This God has a very touchy honor that must be shielded from the opinions of others at all times. If you are, like, tired in your bones, could it be that one of the reasons is because you have been carrying the heavy yoke and burden of pride? In one of Jesus' greatest invitations to discipleship in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will, what's that next word? Give. I will give you rest. Rest is something that God gives you. Rest is not something you go and achieve and go and do. It took me a while to figure out. Now, inside of here is how we receive the rest Jesus wants to give us. He says, this is fascinating, he says, take my yoke upon you. Now, you would be thinking if you're in a first century agrarian society and you're into farming and all this, and Jesus says, hey, for all of you who are weary, tired, carrying heavy burdens, I want to give you rest. Here's a sabbatical. That's not what Jesus says, and I'm for sabbaticals. He flips the script and says, I want to give you a tool of work, which is not what you're expecting when Jesus says, if you're tired and weary. This yoke, this, um, it's, it's, a, it's a wooden, it has like a curve, a straight line, another curve, and you would put it on top of two oxen on their backs, yoke them together, and this is what he says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because... I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Eugene Peterson in the message, I love how he says it. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. I love this line. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. In other words, A.W. Tozer says on this, Jesus calls us to his rest, and meekness is his method. If you are burnt out, weary, tired, in your gut, Jesus offers you humility. And when we humble ourselves and we become like Jesus and we take his yoke and we walk in ways of humility, we find 
that rest comes to us. Not just in a physical sense, but in our souls. Now here's the gospel message in this, is there's actually absolutely nothing you can do to become humble. You know, um, we should not walk out of this place and go, okay, I'm going to be humble today. It's impossible. In fact, the Bible never says be humble. Now one time will you find the phrase, be humble, as if we can just act our way into humility. Instead, the Bible says humble yourself. And so, if self is the problem, more of self is not going to be the answer. It's kind of the, the way this works. So on one hand, follow me here, there's nothing you can do to become humble. On the other hand, there's one thing you can do to become humble, and it's you ask for and receive more of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's actually the Holy Spirit's job to produce humility in you. His fruit is gentleness, self-control, peace, kindness, And if if there is one thing, it is that you recognize your need for this, you reject your pride, you renounce your pride, you ask for forgiveness and deliverance through pride, and you say, Lord, I need more of you in my life to produce this quality of meekness, to produce this quality of humility, and your job is to simply bear the fruit of humility, not grow it. I would encourage you today to allow the Spirit of God more square footage in your heart. Give Him the master key to every room. Give Him more control, more authority, more space to grow this very needed attribute. Got some uh, next steps for you. We, uh, we'll put it on the screen. Um, as we finish our time here, I'd love for you to just ask the Lord to show you what relationships or situations are you in where you are being proud or harsh instead of being gentle and humble. And he might lead you to do some very specific things to begin to repent of those patterns. Another question might be, where has God given you an opportunity to humble yourself instead of asserting yourself and control and your agenda, etc.? And this one only you can answer is, um, how is God calling you to surrender to and receive more of his presence in your life? If you have the... the um, the Bible app at the bottom of there, I placed a prayer called the Litany of Humility, which is an excellent um, kind of progression of prayers that every time I pray it, it uh, points out very subtle areas in which I am being proud. Um, I remember leading our team through this one time, and Yvonne said, do I really want to pray this? This is awful, <laughs> you know? It's an amazing, it, but it exposes the self. It exposes areas of pride. And it's also on our website, on our blog, you can get it. And there's another little, uh, very short, like four-page PDF by Andrew Murray on humility that I've been reading and studying and processing for about 10 years now. It's on there free for you, encourage you 
to dive deeper in that subject. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come and recognize our great need for you. And Lord, all we can do is just surrender. Lord, our experience is constantly with the asserting of self in pride, either in the negative or positive direction, sometimes even in both. And God, more than anything, we ask for your deliverance from the slavery of pride and arrogance and self-exaltation. Jesus, we remember your call to discipleship under you is one of taking up our cross, giving up our life, giving up the self, and finding our true and new identity in you. Lord, help us to get from our head to our heart that we can't walk out of here and just be meek or humble. We can't act our way or force our way into it. Lord, we sit here helpless, just needing a miracle from you in our lives. Jesus, we need more of your presence in our thoughts in the meditations of our heart, in the words of our mouth, in our emotions, in our will, our agenda, our plans, our preferences, our interactions in which we have with one another, how we view ourselves, how we view you, how we view you viewing us, and all of that, God, we come and bring it to you, asking you to set everything right. What I pray for those here listening who are in a state of spiritual death because of pride. Holy Spirit, I pray that in this moment you would draw a circle around them and invade that circle with nothing but your presence to set at liberty those who are slaves to pride. Those who are in slavery to low self-esteem and self-pity. Lord, set free those who put themselves first instead of last. We should invite you here in this moment to even bring salvation, to bring the salve, the healing to the wounded heart, the wounded soul, the hungry and thirsty and weary soul. Lord, meet us in this moment. Help us to experience the gentleness and the humility, the kindness of 
your love and your thoughts and your disposition towards us.